Greetings, this is Bob Ponderelli, co-host with Mike Sherrick of Into the Gap Radio, which airs Saturday afternoons at 1 o'clock Central on 1590 AM and 95.9 FM Chicago. This is the podcast version of our show where you'll get highlights of our most recent episode. We also do an Into the Gap unfiltered podcast, and I'll have more details about that later in the episode. Okay, let's get started. Here's my co-host, Mike Sherrick. I'm really excited. We got a guest today. Uh... Rollo Tomasi, so we're looking for him to come on. That's going to be excellent. Maybe we could talk a wee bit about about just the show a yeah, little bit yeah. and how the gap, how we came up with the gap, which yeah. is from a conversation we had. You were yeah. bringing up the London subway yeah. and the space between the platform and the train, yep. the, sp- the space between standing still and moving, yep. this little sliver of space where you got a couple of nanoseconds or a few inches yeah. <laughs> to 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 ponder to inquire to to yeah. ask essential questions which we feel is at the heart of the process of critical thinking which is a discipline like anything else yeah and it's really the transition from yeah. being stagnant and being comfortable right and being in action and, and making stuff happen shall yep. we say yep. you know, i almost said a bad word right you know. and one of my favorite quotes from movies of course which is always uh, fun with from uh, Braveheart, where he says it's it's out of wits that make us men. Yeah. So it's that whole idea of um, of taking uh, responsibility for your your own sexuality, whatever that might be. In this case, a male sexuality. Well, that's it. That's right? actually what the sh- which is that's at the core what the show's about. Uh, yeah. the, the show's really mm-hmm. about you know bringing, uh, recalling and regenerating leadership from a male perspective. That's uh, I, you know that's why we one of the things yeah. We're bringing to the yeah, that's, that's the conversation. That's why it's so important. And, and also, yeah. the idea of uh, personal responsibility being the axis mundi, as I like to say, oh, you got, you got <laughs> the center of the universe, right? right? So there's so. going to be this whole conversation where I don't know what the hell's going on today because you're going to use big words and Raul's going to use acronyms, and I'm going to be sitting here with my thumb in my butt, you know. But that's all right. So fantastic. Uh, um, cool. Do you want to get into a couple stories and we'll bring Ron? Well, on? we can. So yeah. this part of the show we call documentation of existing conditions. And I purposely <laughs> deny Mike the ability to know which stories are going to be popped up. Yeah. And this is the most latest one from one of our uh, supporters, which is uh, Grey's Anatomy star Ellen Pompeo called racist for negative comments about Kamala Harris. Forget about, as you say, Let's never let the facts interfere with the narrative. <laughs> right, ever, exactly. Ever. Don't ever yes. let that happen. Correct. Yeah. So, so there's one story there, which is uh, well, you, you know, know, if you say anything against about... Kamala Harris, it's the double bajuna. You're both a racist and a misogynist, right? There you go. It's a so, double whammy. It's a double whammy. You're both yeah. you're both a racist and a misogynist yeah. because she is kind of like the oracle of all. Right. right. Or so, worse yet, yeah. which is a more popular, yeah. uh, getting more popular, unfortunately, every day, which yeah. another, which for us is another, uh, not a justification, but a purpose for the show, mm-hmm. is you're also, you could be a white supremacist. Probably, yeah. Because, you know, <laughs> white supremacy is just rising every day as we, you know, go to the grocery store and yeah. see white supremacists at the, uh, yeah. no, at the crazy. entrance. Yeah, that's crazy. But, that's, uh, that's, but again, don't let the facts interfere with the narrative. Exactly. Yeah. So there's uh, another one, of course, the big story for the week, really. You, you got to love it, is is the whole Baltimore story yeah. that unfolded little by little, and yeah. it get, keeps getting worse, yeah. which is it started out as this just griping match between Cummings and Trump, mm-hmm. but then it became, wait, what about that What about that missing $16 billion that you, we gave is that you what guys? It is? Or it's like, yeah. uh, I thought on. it was one, I thought it was like... 
16 billion in yes. federal nice. funding nice. they can't account for it what what happened to 16 billion dollars you know, that was supposed to go to uh, bettering your community there mm-hmm. and uh and so that's always an interesting story to question which is what we're doing here and then Another one, and this is directly related to uh, Rollo, as one of his posts earlier this week, which is this whole thing with Gillette. Now they're <laughs> writing down eight billion dollar loss. Yeah, uh, and 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 the CEO said, "I don't mind. It was worth paying," and he doesn't mind alienating some customers. Okay, so that's um, that that's again, good. that's uh, uh, for me. It's like one of these things where. You know, he's now a hero of the revolution. Mm-hmm. He's yeah. a hero of the cultural revolution because yeah. he's sacrificing his company. He's falling on the sword, so to speak, yeah. economically. Yeah. And then, of course, as a leader, because yeah. he actually, as a CEO, yeah, he's a leader, right? Yeah. So that's going to be yeah. great for the employees and for the shareholders. Yep. Yeah. Yep. That's awesome. And then, I, you know, I have a personal ban against Gillette. Yeah, yeah, me too. Yeah, and so does Rollo, by the way. Oh, does he? Oh, okay. Not to go public with yeah. it on him, but yeah. uh, it's a fact. Yeah, yeah. Gillette's been He's one of the first banned. people to come out on it. Oh. Yeah. yeah. And then finally, uh, the uh, Miami Beach mayor uh, was uh, talking about um, global warming and, you know, yeah. uh, water all over his town. And yeah. and all of a it's sudden- It's built on a swamp. Um, he was outed for being in Jeff- Jeffrey Epstein's address book. Oh, yeah, well. So- Listen- there you go. Yeah. And that's pretty much a quick that's rundown. Kind of of <laughs> rundown of the news today. Yeah. And, and again, happy news. We're, we're encouraging listeners to actually question what they're reading versus mm. swallowing it and going, oh, okay, that's a news yeah. item. And, you know, yeah, okay, that's what that is. And, you know, we'll move on to the next thing. What's for lunch? Cool. You know, so. Hey, you want to bring Rollo on now, early? Absolutely. Rollo, you ready to come on? Yeah, I'm here. Can awesome. you guys hear me? Yeah, welcome. Yeah. Oh, excellent. 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 Rollo, it's, I, I, it's I really- I was worried a... I was going to have to call in. <laughs> no, no, no. This is awesome. We, we got it all together. It's a scramble, cool. but we- uh, You're the first guest. We've, we haven't been around that long. We've been around, this is 13 or 14 weeks, but mm-hmm. you're the first guest we actually had on via Zoom or Skype or anything like that. So. Oh, good. Well, I'm glad this is working out. Yeah, I've done Zoom before. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. You are, you are like all over the internet and know all that stuff. So, well, thanks for coming, man. I really, yeah, uh, thanks. Thanks. I just, I was just, uh, just getting done with my other show rule zero and yeah, I was uh, watching it switch right over. I, I don't know if you guys caught any of that. Yeah. I caught a little bit of it. It's cool. I, I actually reached out to Ryan and so we're going to mm-hmm. connect, uh, you know, hopefully after this show, but yeah, it was yeah. cool. It was really cool. We're, we're kind of the mature version of that. Those guys were a little okay. bit younger than us, right? We're yes, probably like yes. double their age, but that's okay. Yeah. So. I, I feel like I'm the mature guy on there too. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I don't know if I'm the mature guy, but I'm always the oldest guy. We so. understand. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. So Rollo, thanks, man. Thanks for, sure. thanks for jumping on. And, uh, you know, the thing that, that the, really the reason we wanted to bring you on was we, Bob and I both have a particular stand that men uh, are step up in this world. You've mentioned countless times about the feminization of the culture and how Mm -hmm. men have kind of relinquished their stand. And and we're actually a call for that men step up and and take ownership. And so Mm -hmm. it was important that that you were able to join us because I think there's a lot of aligned thinking, but Mm -hmm. maybe not aligned language, you know, because I'll be honest, I didn't even know how long has it been since I've known Rollo, Bob. 
six months, maybe four months. Oh, of him. Yeah. Yes. It's been, it hasn't long. been long, Rollo. Mm-hmm. I mean, I read your, I read the rational mail and okay. you know, follow you and stuff like that, but I'm a relative novice when it comes to the world of understanding. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I'm getting more and more stories like your own, um, recently. Um, I think particularly because we're entering into a, um, an election cycle right now, we're yeah. all, actually, we're already into yeah. it if you really think about it. Um, but going forward, I think, um, the just the the social narrative that we're we're seeing in the mainstream right now is going to bring more and more guys such as yourself to um, what we call the manosphere, yeah. And um, and that's just again that's for lack of a better term it's a it's a community or consortium of guys sort of sharing their experiences and and you know there's disagreements that go back and forth mm-hmm. but there's also um, I think we all share kind of a uh, a common understanding that we need to get back to a conventional form of masculinity yeah and um we're gonna like you guys were just talking about the gillette commercial a little while ago yeah um that right there is just sort of a a wake-up call i think most guys who are in the mainstream have never heard of the red pill or ever heard of the manosphere um are beginning to um at least be curious about Mm -hmm. it so people who are on the outside of it um, are, are starting to at least wonder, um, particularly when you see, um, you know, direct open attacks against masculinity yeah. as a byproduct of, uh, this election cycle. Um, it, I, I yeah. believe we're really in a, um, in a gender war right now. And I don't yeah. mean like in a physical sense, I mean like in a, in a war of the words, an ideological gender war, cold war, gender yeah. cold war is what yeah. we're in. And the more we see um, this stuff in our commercials and our popular media, um, in our songs, you know, our, our just popular culture, Netflix, um, Captain Marvel, you know, we see it yeah. in the latest Marvel movies and stuff. Yeah. And so I think that even just average guys are just kind of like, it's, it's become so unignorable that they're wondering what's going on. And so they, they come and they understand that read my book. They, you know, yeah. they, they get involved such as yourself. And now, you know, we have this common language with which we can sort of understand each other. Rollo, mm-hmm. what was the source of you entering this entire subject matter, you know, in the critical oh way that you have? Um, well, actually there's a lot of reasons I got into this. Um, primarily, uh, back in, well, you know, it's funny. The, the first time I started getting into this was I was listening to Tom Likas when he used to have oh, wow. a, uh, a terrestrial radio show back in uh, 2000, 2001. Okay. And uh, he was just something I listened to on a commute. Um, I, I, my background is in advertising, uh, brand management, uh, graphic design, art, oh, okay. art direction, that kind of stuff. And okay. I worked with a lot of uh, talk radio shows for um, some of the... Uh, the events that I used to work on. And uh, okay. that was like, so I kind of got into the talk radio type thing and I listened to him mm-hmm. and I was really shocked by what he was saying, but yeah. then I couldn't really deny what he was saying. Mm-hmm. And so I was listening to Tom and then uh, right around 2003, my, uh, my brother-in-law committed suicide mm-hmm. and he committed suicide as a result of being in a, uh, well, what I believe is being in a, 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 a about a 20 year marriage with my sister-in-law and um, decided that uh, he couldn't live without her. And he was what I would call a stereotypical uh, blue pill beta male guy mm-hmm. who lucked out. He, he married a woman who actually uh, knocked her up when he was you know, earlier in his life, but mm-hmm. um, ended up with a woman who was very far above him in sexual market value. And later on, like right before she, right around 40 years old, she decided that she wanted to uh, uh, take up with a, a guy who was much richer. 
And uh, that was something that he simply couldn't live with and uh, ended up committing suicide as a result of that. Mm -hmm. And really the fallout that surrounded that when I was, uh, when I was trying to relate that story and I was just sort of trying to uh, sort through um, just what had just happened and why the guy had done this, Mm -hmm. um, that kind of woke me up in a, in in what we call, you know, waking up to the red pill or being unplugged from the matrix. And that's when I started writing on a a forum called uh, SoSwap. And SoSwap was a, uh, a pickup artist forum, but it was also guys coming together and sharing their, their experiences and their stories. And I became a moderator on there and, uh, quickly became one of the more popular, uh, personalities, I guess, on Mm -hmm. that, that forum. Mm -hmm. And from there, um, the discussions that we had over the course of about eight or nine years ended up becoming the basis for a lot of my blog posts and my essays. Hmm. And I, I consider myself primarily an essayist. I mean, people say, well, you're just a blogger. But uh, I, I try to craft my essays as best I can. And I got into um, behavioral psychology. It was at the time that I was at university and uh, double majored as a, a BFA and a, a BS in um, behavioral psychology. Hmm. And um, I did that as a result of actually wanting to to sort of put my money where my mouth is when I was writing about this stuff. Mm Because as part of my my education, I was doing peer counseling. And most of the guys that I was seeing as sort of my my test subjects were guys anywhere between like 40 and 60 years old. (laughs) And so they would relate these stories to me. And it was at the same time I was listening to these guys. I'm sort of getting into what the pickup artist community was doing. And I I was more interested in understanding what the psychology was behind all of this. And it's like, why, why does what like a pickup artist do, why does that work? <laughs> and why does something not work? And why does something work? And I just started digging deeper and I got into evolutionary psychology. I got into, uh, got into that pretty deeply as well as uh, evolutionary biology. And it's really been more of a, a, a passion or a labor of love for me for the last about 18 years. And so I started the blog and then the blog led to the books. And I did the books because I had so many people asking me, like, you really need to put these into books as people need to have this information. They need to understand what this is all about. Mm. So the, the blog posts of the very best stuff that I had done for like the first about three years of The Rational Mail ended up in the first book, The Rational Mail. Okay. And that book has changed my life and has changed a lot of other people's lives mm-hmm. as well. And I'm mm-hmm. sure you guys have read it, so you, yeah. we, we can talk about that a bit. But mm-hmm. it has been instrumental in being really the sort of the Bible of the manosphere or the red pill right now. And um, it's, you know, like I said, it's changed lives. It's saved lives. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's helped guys, you know, sort of come to terms and understand what it is exactly that, that it, you know, what the game is that they're involved in right. with respect to intersexual dynamics. And that was really my, my focus of the book is to understand intersexual dynamics, to cut it away from like, um, you know, moralism or political, you know, political influences, um, personal influences, emotional influences. Oh, cool. And, um, and really focus on the nuts and bolts. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've said this before. I'm not in the business of making men better men. I'm in the business of having men make themselves better men to give mm-hmm. themselves the tools. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I don't get into like the Tony Robbins stuff. I don't get into right. the, to the, you know, positive thinking stuff or any of that kind of stuff. I'm, sure. I want to give you tools so that you can change your life for yourself. Not so that you can be like, I don't give people like 12 rules for life. Right. I, right. I give them the nuts and bolts. They understand their situations better and then they implement the changes. Yeah. Themselves. Right. And the other two books are 
just to the other two books. Okay, so and that that led to a series. The first book, I, I thought that that was going to be the only book I would ever write. Right. And then I had people asking me, like, I wish I would have had this stuff when I was like, you know, before I got married or when, when I was 18 or before I, I got involved with this girl, before I had kids. And so people are mm-hmm. saying, where were, you, where were you when I needed you the most? Mm-hmm. And so I wrote the second book, which is called Preventive Medicine. And that <laughs> is a timeline of what men can expect, generally expect from women uh, at various phases of women's maturity. So I, I, I follow a timeline from women of about 15 years old all the way up until they're about 50 years old. Wow. People think I should extend that a little bit further, but maybe I will in another edition. Hmm. And then people cr- criticize me and say, well, why did you, why did you include 15-year-old girls in there? Because a lot of um, our understanding of intersexual dynamics happens in high school. Yeah, and we, we, we tend to cling to what I call adolescent social skill sets. Right. And so I had to back it up at least to 15 so that we could understand uh, different phases of maturity and what women are going through and what guys can expect from them mm-hmm. at, that, at that time in life. Yeah. And then the third book was really, uh, I had a lot of guys asking me like, when should I give the rational male to my sons? When mm-hmm. should I, I, I want to be a, a, a red pill parent. Uh, I think my, I, I can't deny this, this information from my, my son who's 15 and he's already, you know, d- despondent and depressed because of his girlfriend. Can I give him your first book? And I, I, I had to really struggle with that because mm-hmm. it's kind of advanced stuff to, to hand to a, a kid who's like 15 years old. Sure. So I wrote, I wrote the, uh, the positive masculinity on two fronts. One was to address parents and particularly red pill fathers right. wanting to raise children in a, a red pill aware um, understanding of intersexual dynamics and what right. we're going through. And also yep. to raise awareness to how our social order um, is influencing mm-hmm. Uh, influencing us today. And so that's right. where positive masculinity came from. Um, I should really retitle that as conventional masculinity because it's really getting back to, again, nuts and bolts of what constitutes masculinity in men. You know, Rallo, that's one of the, that's really where I'd like to go with this today is, um, is I'd, I'd love to hear your point of view. Like, how did we get in this mess? How did men mm-hmm. give up literally being men? Mm-hmm. And where do we go from now? How do we reinstall or what is there, where do we have to begin to look to reinstall masculinity in a way that provides leadership and stability to not only our culture, but to our families and our organizations and the people around us? I think it comes, the, the first thing you have to understand is that we're, we're on the cusp of a radical change with respect to um, our, our understanding of men and women, our understanding of where we're going to go as gender. Because right now, we're, if, if you ask the, the right person, there are 68 different genders and gender is just a social construct. And it's all this, this legacy of social constructionism. Right. It's also this legacy of this understanding that uh, we're, we're all a blank slate, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. Everybody's equal and, and we're, we're all starting from the same point, which is just complete nonsense. Yeah. Um, and if you know anything about evolutionary biology, or anything about the the you know scientific aspects of gender differences, we are more men and women are more different than we are actually. Uh, and this physically, mm-hmm. uh, physically, emotionally, we we process emotions differently. We are basically different beings. We are the same species, but we we evolved and our brains are structured differently. And we're just now understanding that. So what that does is it challenges this idea of the blank slate. So yeah. that's the first the, the first place I start is right there. The other thing is like I also say that there's um, 
we have two social or well, we have two, two yeah, two social uh, contracts really. Um, the old social contract, which was everything that happened prior to the sexual revolution, mm-hmm. and everything that happened after the sexual revolution. Okay. So right around right around the time that we invented uh, hormonal birth control, that is unilaterally controlled by women. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the time that we saw sexual liberation. That's the time when we saw feminism rise to power. That's mm-hmm. when the time we 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 took over the idea of. Uh, feminine empowerment, what I call the fempowerment narrative. Yeah. Um, and that began right around 1966 or yeah. so, mm-hmm. and then on to where we are right now. And now we're seeing the result of really three or four generations of this idea that men must, that, that everybody's equal, everything's, everything's a blank slate, gender is a social construct. And what we've essentially done in that time is hand over um, all you know, any power that men had with respect to how we were going to reproduce the whole reproductive process, whose sexual or mating strategy was going to be the preeminent one in Western society, all of that was handed over to women. And now we're seeing the results of that. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so, and, and, and I think that's one of the things is, is the acquies- acquiescence of mm-hmm. guys have had, you know, they, they, well, you know, how bad can this get, you know? Oh yeah. We thought it was, we thought it was in our best interest. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and that's, I think yeah. one of the things, uh, is guys have, you know, guys are not big picture thinkers sometimes. But, but let's keep in mind that acquiescence is not necessarily gender specific either. So right. I, yeah, I would well, say here, assumptions were made on both we, parties. About- we, we ceded a, 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 a kind of power to women back in the mid sixties that is just, it's unprecedented in human history. Yeah. We've essentially said, women, you are going to be responsible for the reproductive process of the human race now. Yeah. And so what's happened is guys thought that that was great. You know, back in the, back in the free love era, back in the sixties, exactly. you know, yeah, back at Woodstock, um, we thought that was awesome. Oh, you're on the pill. Great. Hey, and at so Morton high school in 1972 was a pretty cool thing. Let me just tell I'm, you. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm <laughs> absolutely sure it was. And when we got the disco gym, we're going to go party at studio 54. Yeah. And we went through that and we went through the AIDS epidemic. We went yeah. through all this stuff and we went through no fault. Divorce came out of that. We came uh, into, we put women into the workforce in unprecedented numbers. Yeah. We have the Duluth model of feminism, which, which basically means that men are always to be considered the, the, uh, the aggressor and women are always expected to be the victims. Rollett, so, we got to take another break now. Okay. Come back and we're going to build off of this. So thank you so much for that. Bob Pontarelli here, and I want to thank you for listening to this podcast. We'll have more Into the Gap episode highlights after a short break. Into the Gap is on a quest for bringing self-knowledge right up against the glass of the great display window of life. We're also on a quest for advertisers to support this podcast, our weekly radio show, and our unfiltered podcast. If you'd like to get more information and inquire about rates, please contact me at bob at intothegapmedia.com. Ecotech Pest Control is a local family-owned pest control company located in the Chicagoland area. We aim to provide environmentally responsible, effective pest prevention and elimination to our clients following the principles of integrated pest management. From bedbugs to roaches, from silverfish to rodents, whether residential or commercial, Ecotech Pest Control will get the job done. Visit our website, ecotechpestcontrol.com, for a free estimate or call us at 773-570-0070 to schedule your service appointment today and tell them Into the Gap sent you. This is Into the Gap, the podcast, where we bring you highlights of our radio show, which airs every Saturday at 1 o'clock Central Time on WCGO AM and FM. We also recently introduced the Into the Gap Unfiltered podcast, where we enter into the bowels of human ontological hell 
rooting out the evil that too often seeks shelter in the nooks and crannies of your consciousness. Find it, rate it, and subscribe to it on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Our latest episodes are also available on SoundCloud at Into the Gap Media and our website, intothegapmedia.com. Okay, back to the show now. Here's Mike. Bob and Mike here with our guest, Rollo Tomasi. Rollo, again, thanks for being here. Uh, sure, sure. Thank you. Yeah, you know, you were, you were really talking about how we got to where we're at. Mm-hmm. And the question becomes, now that we know where we're at, which is really important to understand the journey that got us there, what is there for, to do for the responsible man who is like Caesus, you know, because you can't turn on the news and not hear that being a straight white guy is not a problem, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, well, I mean, just to, to clarify what, what I think is, is happening right now is back in the, back in the, around the time of the sexual revolution, you had, um, guys who thought that they had this stellar great deal in that they didn't have to worry about pregnancy anymore. Mm-hmm. But along with that came what, what, what uh, I call um, is a, sort of a shirking of men's uh, male burden of performance. Mm-hmm. So prior to the sexual revolution, men's you know, primary value that they would bring to a marriage mm-hmm. was their commitment and their provisioning capacity. Yep. Um, and that was what women tended to base their, what I call hypergamous filtering process. So they're looking for the best, the best guy that's, you know, good looking and fun in bed, but also the guy who's going to be a good bet when it came to parental investment and everything else. Well, all that flew out the window right around the time of, you know, the, the sexual revolution. So what's happened is since then men have forgotten or have, have, placed less emphasis on what I call their burden of performance. And that's where we're at right now is we're still kind of wondering, yeah. we're just beginning to put together the pieces because we're seeing the results of three or four generations of this feminization of society. Yeah. And so as a part of that, men have abandoned this idea that they even need to have a burden of performance because it's all about what counts. You know, it's all about what's on the inside that counts. It's all about, um, you know, people coming together and, and, mm-hmm. and there's all the stuff, all this evolutionary stuff that led, that used to lead men and women together, all that doesn't matter anymore. And we're all just going to, to go along, to get along. And we're finding that because we've done that, we have ceded that control of the, the, the mating process to, um, to women. It's, it's, it's women's mating strategy that defines our society right now. So yeah. we're seeing this. And so how do we get back to that? How do we understand, you know, how do we get from like what I, this is what I call is um, we've gone from raising children, the model of raising children, we've gone from a, um, a marriage based model mm-hmm. to a child support based model. And the reason for that is because we don't think of we don't think of things in terms of men having to live up to anything. Like like I I I just grind my teeth when I hear like the governor of California say something like, "Well, it's a dangerous thing to tell people to man up, or it's a dangerous thing to oh. tell men to stop being a sissy." And and it's it's, it's like, is it? Rallo, I, I did a, a I did a TED talk called "Man Up," and mm-hmm. I got heckled before oh, I even I'm said sure. anything. You know? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure I'm sure you would. <laughs> it's unbelievable. 
It's, it's, well, what's, what's interesting is like, man up, if it's a guy like you that's saying, hey, man up or, hey, we need to talk about this burden of performance that men yeah. have, because if we don't if we don't do that, then we, you know, we end up becoming worthless men and women don't want to be with worthless men. They don't mm -hmm. want to be with incompetent men. Yeah. So what one of the things is, if you know anything about evolutionary psychology, women look for competency in men above everything else. So not only do you have to be a great father and and fun in bed, but you've also got to know how to change the oil in your car mm -hmm. and you've got to you know be a good plumber be whatever you there's so many competent core competencies that you have to have as a man and we don't think of those as part of our burden of performance anymore so when you look at it from like a utilitarian side of things where it's like be a man means to be more socially dominant be more competent well people don't like that because it takes it takes power away from the feminine if you do that yeah. but if you if you say hey man up and be the uh, father of the children of a single mother they're okay with that mm -hmm. they're okay if you say man up and take over the help me out with these kids yeah. but if it's if it's as long as it's beneficial to the feminine and man up means something that's like is it beneficial to them then it's okay but what we're looking at here is we're looking at the, the idea that men should be competent. And as, as a result of that, men have what's called a burden of performance. Yeah. Your value as a man will always be based and will always be judged on your performance, not just by women, but by other men as well mm -hmm. and by society in general. Yeah. What is it that you can do and what is it that you can do well? Can you do a lot of things well? And what I think we've done is we've said, you know what? Don't worry about that anymore. Women are on the on the pill. They'll have they'll have sex and they will have babies with whoever it is that they want to have babies with. So it doesn't matter what you're about as a guy. Um, just you know, go along to get along. Do you, you do you? We'll do us, and we're all going to be um, you know autonomous, self fulfilling you know beings of some sort because we still believe in this blank slate. But what I think, what, what th I think the mistake that we have right now is that we want to get back to this old golden era mm -hmm. that uh, particularly conservatives like to think, well, we need to get back to when men were men and women were women and, and it, th th those days are gone. Like yep. I, I always tell guys, I said, most, most conservatives don't want the red pill. They want a time machine. They want to go back <laughs> in time. That's awesome. And, and I'm like, that's not going to happen. Yeah. But we can go forward. We can take what we know. We can yeah. take what like we're we're a generation. I'm a, I'm Generation X, and I'm seeing this. And I'm saying, you know what? This it wasn't always like this. I I was born in 1968, and it wasn't always like this. Yeah. Uh, you know, I grew up in uh, as as a result of like maybe the free love generation or whatever. I went through right. the 80s and everything. It's and it's casual sex, and that was just the way things were. It didn't used to be like that because we had responsibilities that were enforced because we didn't have hormonal birth control. We didn't have the, the feminine empowerment that we see today. Mm -hmm. But what can we do? What can we take from all of those golden years and how can we use those going forward? How can we, how can we shape ourselves as conventionally masculine men and to do it unapologetically going forward and being positive about this in an age where we want to turn our little boys into little girls hormonally yeah. or we want to you know we want to we want to say that gender is a, is just a, a a social construct when it's provably not where what are we going to do with all this information I, i'm i'm really keen on giving guys tools and information to do this but what are we going to do how are we going to come together and how are we going to how are we going to go forward with this we got to go forward we can't go back Rallo, I love what you're saying, man, because um, it's 
again, this this whole manosphere, I was not aware of this stuff until less than a year ago when I started preparing for this TED Talk. And then all of a sudden I stepped into a thing and I'm like, holy cow, this is way bigger than I knew. Mm -hmm. And uh, what you're talking about is actually the the recreation or reinvention of what it means to be a man Mm -hmm. in this new environment. So it's not about restoring old, it's about recreating or actually creating something new. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, like, like I said at the beginning of the show, we're on the cusp of something right yeah. now where it's a, a generational change. What I've been seeing lately in the media is that uh, because of this election cycle is that men don't matter or women yeah. are better off without a husband, without kids. I've seen I've seen dozens of articles that say exactly this. The, the first the, time the, the first time I heard it was when Barack Obama got reelected in 2012 and Karen Finney came on. MSNBC with with Rachel Maddow and what she said was in this election what has been proven is that white men are non-essential and I said oh brother that's a <laughs> that's a puck drop you know yeah that's gonna uh, wake I, some stuff I would up. I would say that that yeah white men are the are the tip of that iceberg but men in general men in general no matter yeah. what your race no matter what your yeah. religion men will be they they want to minimize masculinity. Yeah. They want to, I mean, literally they want to take the letters M A N out of the English language. Yeah. We want to go and change bylaws, uh, you know, for state governments so that we can, we can I mean, we spend <laughs> manhole. Six mil- millions <laughs> right. of dollars. Yeah. For manhole. Right. Yeah. Or they, they spent $6 million to remove the, the letters in sequence M A N from the English language out of uh, state legislature. Wow. Just because they want to be more gender inclusive. That's not gender inclusivity. That is changing the language. Yeah. That is that is removing the man. And there's so many different ways that they remove the man right now. That's one of a more egregious kind, but they're doing that because they want you disempowered. They want you completely. And I've always said this is that feminism has always been a hate movement. It has always been mm-hmm. a supremacism movement. Yeah. And if you go and you do the actual homework and you look way back to the, you know, the what, 1847, 1849 in Seneca Falls, if you look at the, the, the tenets of feminism, they're still the same as today as they were then, it, which is to disempower men and to empower women, which is a supremacy movement. Yeah. Well, so what I'm seeing, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go I was going to add, ask what part of the past needs to stay in the past um i think that the idea that um that we have one of the things i I think this and this is like a a human constant i think one of the things we have a tendency to do is to romanticize certain eras Mm. of our history okay so if we want to go back to like the middle ages or we want to go back we think of these these things in really romantic terms Mm -hmm. um i think that um there obviously there was something that was going on in the everyone likes to go back to the 50s and that this is the a, a favored tactic of feminism which is to say that well you're just a 50s chauvinist you're a 50s um uh throwback or you're a misogynist because you know it's like father knows best right mm-hmm. you're, you're looking at this thing and th- they're they're romanticizing a particular uh era that never really happened that like the most they're, they're thinking of it in terms of 1950s TV shows right. um, with a, with a woman in the kitchen. And, but even then mm-hmm. we still respected the woman. We still respected the mother as a mother. 
Whereas if you look at the shows into the 70s and the 80s, it's it's the woman who is empowered and the man is this bumbling idiot (laughs) who needs to be saved from himself by mom's, you know, feminine intuition. I think one of the things that we need to to leave in the past is this idea that... um, that uh, men were these horrible ogres who were just, you know, chauvinist cavemen of the of the 50s and look at the look at things in realistic terms and, and, and sort of remove our rose colored glasses, I guess, to 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 romanticizing certain things, certain aspects of certain eras. Hey, Rollo, we're going to have to take a break in a, about a minute and okay. uh, you're, you're invited to stick around for the next segment sure, if you I want. Can. OK, cool. And. Uh, yeah, then what we'll do is we'll we'll try to, you know, whatever you want to, our listeners to get in touch with you or how they can find you and that sure. type of stuff, we'll sure. get into that. But yeah, it's been so cool talking with you. Um, and now I got 30 seconds to, to kill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hey, no, just, just, just to mention, uh, my son is 30. Yeah. Uh, I should say our son is 30 and mm-hmm. uh, he's a huge fan. And when I, when he found out we were going to interview you, he was like, he was just jumping around, you know, I, oh, I he's in Fort Bragg right now, so. But he's a big fan. Serving the country, yeah. Yep. You're listening to Into the Gap, the podcast, where we bring you highlights of our weekly radio show, which airs Saturdays at 1 o'clock Central Time on WCGO AM and FM, Evanston, Chicago. We also recently introduced the Into the Gap Unfiltered podcast, where leadership, lifelong learning, and critical thinking are leveraged in the service of freedom and liberty. Find it, rate it, and subscribe to it on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. The latest episodes of that podcast, and this one too, are available on SoundCloud at Into the Gap Media and on our website, intothegapmedia.com. If you'd like to get in touch with questions, comments, or to inquire about sponsorship opportunities, please email me at bob at intothegapmedia.com. Let's go back to the show now. Here's my partner, Mike Sherrick. During a break, Bob's breaking my stones about two things. My Southside accent, number one, and then number two... Uh, he's, he's, he's like taking full credit, like, cause I really didn't know who you were until Bob told me about you. So thanks for being on. Uh-huh. It's, it's, it's been such a oh, pleasure. For sure. For sure. For sure. You know, it's funny. It's like when people read my work, I, I think I give them a mental image of like being like really professorial or something. And then they'll see me on my YouTube channel. And they go, this guy looks like <laughs> some kid from Huntington Beach. Man. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, so yeah. like, you have, you have, if you have an accent of any kind, I think it sort of comes with a little bit of pretext. <laughs> of course it does. And, you know, yeah. and. The, the South Side of Chicago is not a, a professorial area, and my partner here happens to be a college professor. So, well, you know, okay. so therein yeah, lies the, yeah. the juxtaposition. By I default. used a big word. How about that? <laughs> yeah, right. Um, hey, Rallo, one thing, if you could, like some of our listeners, you know, I, I'm guessing not everyone is in the manosphere and understands what's going on. Oh, mm-hmm. by the way, I want to tell you one more thing is uh, I too am banned from Anthony Dream Johnson. So oh just, really? Yeah. Oh great. Yeah, uh, you too. Yeah. Well, hey, you know we're all Medusa <laughs> now. Right? We're, we're we're aware of the schism. We're, yeah. we're not going to bring it up necessarily unless you want to talk about it. But yeah. we, uh, I, 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 would, I would be happy to talk about it. Um, I'm I'm actually becoming a little bit more comfortable with it. But sure. on my attorney's um, advice, I am not. Going yeah, to no worries. Hey. No worries. It was just funny. We really don't care. Uh, yeah, it was just funny how it came about. I like the first time I I twittered him, I got banned. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, if you have anything positive to say about me from from well, from that side of the manosphere, then you're going to get banned. Yeah, you that's just, what happened. That's kind of what happened. You know, um, well, you know they, they're they're welcome to go do whatever they're going to do, and yeah. we'll just see how things shake out. 
So the thing I wanted, if you could, if you could take a little time, explain the difference for people, because you you talk a lot in acronyms and you talk a lot red pill, red pill, blue pill. So it's kind of this inside mm-hmm. language, and yeah. those that are just starting to get exposed to you can may may not trek. So could you express a little bit about what does it mean to be a blue pill guy okay. and a red pill guy? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, the the first thing is this is that a lot of people think that the red pill and blue pill is just uh, it means uh, the truth versus lies. Like mm-hmm. if you have the red pill, then you know the truth, right? And recently, I would say probably within the last uh, maybe four years, like since 2015, there's been this real bastardization mm-hmm. of what the red pill really means. So you get the guys in the alt right who are picking up on uh, the red. I got red pill. You know, red pill becomes a verb, right? Yeah. It's no longer about like just being you know, a designation or just sort of a concept. It's about oh, I got red pill. Did you get red pill? I got red. Candace Owens, red pill black. That used to be her her handle on okay. Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's really become a bastardized thing. But the way that I look at the red pill is from intersexual dynamics and how we came to this was back in the day when when I was a mod at the SoSwap forums we talked about it in terms of being unplugged from the matrix so once you came into this knowledge once you once you saw the real the real world or, or just the, the game that had been played on you, um, how you've been raised in or what I call, whenever I say blue pill, I, I'm, I call it blue pill conditioning because it's really a psychological conditioning from the time that you're like, say, five years old. You know how they say like, well, kids are sponges at five years old. Mm-hmm. So from the time, you know, Johnny's five years old until Johnny is like 39 years old, mm-hmm. he's got, he's subject to this, um, this, focus, a social imperative, really social engineering to make him into something that he might not necessarily want to be. So we have uh, this blue pill conditioning from uh, the media, from Disney, from our popular culture, popular psychology, all of these, all of these ways of influencing that child. I'm sure you've heard this term before where Hillary Clinton said it's something in effect that it takes a village to raise a child. Yeah. Yeah. The village is what I, I use as sort of a, a metaphor for all of that influencing that one kid. So if there's a, a focus, it's the village is conditioning kids to be blue pill guys. Well, what that is, is, is it's this understanding of, of how men and women, how boys and girls, how, how this should play out and as I said, since the sexual revolution, that has been in a feminine primary social structure, social order right now. So what I'm hearing, um, Rollo, is the blue pill then is kind of the politically correct narrative. Is that accurate? It, it, you could say it in those terms. Like I focus primarily on intergender okay. issues. Okay. So throw- you could say, you, yeah, from that respect, you could, you could say that. Yes. Okay. It, it, how are you raised? And it could be religious. It could be political. It could mm-hmm. be your family's one way. But the way that I focus on it and the way that we came to talking about red and blue pills mm-hmm. was um, through intersexual dynamics. So okay. you would be unplugged from the matrix and you would be red pilled, right? Or you, you would say, I'm red pill aware now. So it's blue pill conditioning and red pill awareness. So you're aware of what's going on and what are you going to do with that awareness is really kind of left up to the individual. So that's where you come up with those two concepts. So if you believe that, um, you know, you need to supplicate and pander to women and you got to be, you got to uh, get in touch with your feminine side. <laughs> You've got to, um, you know, carry Susie's books home from school, that kind of stuff. That's part of your blue pill training, your blue pill conditioning. Whereas once you get into a, a more adult understanding of where you fit into mating strategies and really, um, evolutionary psychology has sort of woken up a lot of people to, yeah. you know, the, the game that's being played here. I just take it a little bit further. I just say, Hey, look, these are the, the, the dots that I'm connecting here. Yeah. And, th- and so 
as a result of connecting those dots, you become more aware of the game that you're in. If you take that to a, a certain degree, then you become red pill aware and you can internalize that and use that information to live a better life, to save your life so that you're not believing in the soulmate or the this one-itis stuff where it's like, oh, she's the only girl for me. And then you end up putting a noose around your neck because you literally can't live without her. Mm-hmm. Because that's what you believe. You have you become emotionally ego invested into what the blue pill taught you about men and women. So when you take away that your soulmate, mm-hmm. you, you literally I can't live without you. You literally can't live without that person. That is what I call a blue pill casualty or something, a casualty of the feminine imperative, because you believed all this stuff for so long that it has conditioned you to live a per, a, a, a certain kind of life. So your existence depends on you believing in that blue pill conditioning. That's why guys have such a tough time unplugging or becoming red pill aware because their lives that they've built from the time they were five years old till the time they're like 30 years old has been dependent on their belief in that blue, what the blue pill has conditioned them to believe in. So you say, Hey, all of that's, all of that's BS. And here's some, you know, have you thought about this? Look at this, look at this right here. People want to, I, I refer to unplugging guys from the matrix as triage because you can't save all of them. You're not going to, like guys are just, there are simply going to be people who are never going to yeah. wake up. Yeah. And so it's important that you don't get too invested in those guys, but that's their, their existence depends on, on believing all that stuff that the blue pill is embedded into their brains. You know, at the risk of uh, doing a, like, you know, silent plug to get you back on the show, uh, <laughs> Uh, I have to say that the observation I have about these conversations is that um, the blue the blue pill occurs to me as that which we assume unconsciously, and the red pill is that which we consciously choose as a result of some form of enlightenment with ourselves. So this mm-hmm. whole idea of awareness, right? And so uh, it yeah, really goes down goes down to the purpose of the show that that which is another reason why we're really just loving having you here is that sure. uh, into the gap was really created to break this narrative. And so we we're looking to break the existing narrative that everyone or not everyone, but many, many people assume without really saying, you know, in other words, you ask the fish, where's the water? And the fish goes, what water? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it like that. No, it's wet. That's the, you, the, that's a pretty good, we've actually used that metaphor in the blue pill is a fish doesn't know it's wet. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah, so, that's what that's ultimately what we're about is this is a commitment to awakening men, not to like you pointed to, we're not here to change anyone. What we're here for is so that people can actually choose. Mm-hmm. If you want to stay wet, stay wet, you know? But do so from a place of responsibility, you know? Mm-hmm. But people Rob, will we're, fight we're, you. People will fight you on that too. Oh. They will fight you on that because <laughs> hand to hand combat, my friends. <laughs> yeah, their existence depends on them being wet. No, I know. It depends on, yeah, the fish needs the water, right? Uh, and and I've I've found that in that fight, all I have been doing, I I say this all the time. All I do is hold up a mirror. You have to want to look in that no, into that mirror. Yeah. And so it's it's showing these showing guys the the mechanics of it. It's like looking looking behind the the drapery. It's like yeah. l- looking under the hood and seeing how the car actually runs, yep. and then deciding whether you want to be a mechanic or you don't want to be a mechanic. And I think a lot of people have a really tough time with my books because once they read them, they start seeing all this stuff that's going on around them. They can't go back. Please allow us to thank you for listening to this show, as we are only too aware that your support makes it possible. For my co-host, Mike Sherrick, I'm Bob Pontarelli. 